Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast, Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring the song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. 25. 25 episodes. It is uh, the the quarter-life crisis (laughs) of a human being typically comes around this time period. It does. That's the age of our podcast. Uh, yeah, I could see us going into a quarter life crisis after talking about this song. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> I completed my research today and, uh, I, I was just flying through it. I had all these notes. It's going really well. And then I just like hit a wall where I couldn't focus because, uh, I, I made, a I made a French press this morning out of my, uh, dark matter coffee beans and I don't know what happened. Maybe I miscounted the scoops, but it was so damn strong <laughs> that I was, and I'm like a two cup a day person. I'd had one cup kind of watered down in ice and I was just like freaking out. Off the yep. And I had to make some damn. food. I had to like eat some nuts and then make some food and then get back to it. I drank a bunch of water. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, and then I called up to uh, Jamie was upstairs and I was like, are you flying from this coffee? And she's like, yeah, what the hell is in here? It's like jet fuel. <laughs> Um, so dark matter coffee, it works. Uh, yeah, hey. those of you out there haven't tried it yet. Uh, and firsthand today, I, I found that out, but, uh, I do recommend not overdoing it, uh, with the amount of coffee you use to make your pot. Cause it was wild. Yeah. I feel like we're, we're peddling Adderall or something. It really maybe. feels like it. It was, <laughs> it was crazy. We're going to talk about on this lovely Sunday afternoon. It was only a matter of time. Yeah. Is this song decisive? I think everyone loves this song. Banger. Banger. I had to at least get to that part. Um... It's divisive in a number of ways. Um, I, I'd say uh, there are people who do not like this song and find it annoying. Uh, uh, there's also, uh, you know, some drama around it. Um, you know, we'll get into it. I'm surprised it took us 20 some episodes to get here because this is a song where whenever I tell somebody about the podcast, like almost notoriously, they're like, oh, like, like a song like Barbie right. Girl. Yeah, same. And so this is perfect that we're finally getting to it. I think I almost avoided it for that reason. I think I may have two. Two on the nose. We've got it, but we had. I mean, it. we have a. I feel like quite a few left that are totally on the nose that we haven't covered yet, which is yeah. great. Got to keep people wanting more. Uh, and I, we love doing those little side quests, the songs that like are not as obvious. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think some of those have the most interesting stories. Um, but the last episode, you said that you didn't want to do this one. <laughs> You didn't. You you weren't feeling it. Would I say that? Well, you said like um, uh, I've been drinking like, a lot of Sierra Nevada since then. You, so. <laughs> you were like, 
you said you said something like you're like oh, I mean I wasn't gonna pick like Barbie Girl or something and I was like well I mean we have to talk about that song <laughs> well I know I, but I think that's what I'm saying I think it was too on the nose yeah. that I I knew we would get to it right. and so I just go to other sources beforehand but I, I figured since last episode you said that let's do it this time and then it turns out they just announced like two weeks ago that they're reissuing the album on LP and remastered. Or- on digital, because it's the 25th anniversary of Barbie Girl. Well, and it's uh, the, the, the Barbie album. movie's coming out. That's true. The Barbie uh, movie is coming out. I don't. I, I don't know. What's the band? Aqualung, Aqualand. It's definitely not Aqualung. Aqua. <laughs> uh, Aqualung is that like piano dude, right? Oh, yeah. uh, who took obviously took that from uh, Aqualung is uh, Jethro Tull, right? Oh yeah. This is Aqua. They're called Aqua. Aqua. They're a Danish Norwegian bubblegum dance pop band. Sure. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The band consists of vocalists Renee Diff and Lean Nystrom, keyboardist Soren Rosted, and guitarist Klaus Noreen. Ooh. Yeah, I love a Thorn and I love yeah. Klaus. Soren's great a great name. Um, mm-hmm. Klaus and Soren met in Copenhagen, Denmark in 1987. Uh, They were 18 years old. They were both aspiring musicians. Uh, In a recent oral history of the song published by Rolling Stone this year for the 25th anniversary, which is fantastic, and I will reference it a lot uh, because it's straight out of the band's mouth. Uh, Soren said that he at the time was really into stuff like Simple Minds, David Bowie, and U2. So, you know, like glammy, new wave, 80s rock, uh, big chords. And he said Klaus was more into electronic music like Depeche Mode. Uh, they started jamming. You, you mentioned uh, a lot of great um, reference material here, a lot of amazing bands that obviously encouraged them to start playing music. And so from how we got from there to Barbie Girl, <laughs> I am very interested. <laughs> Please go on. <laughs> they started jamming, and then eventually they got an apartment together so they could just work on music all the time. Hmm. And they eventually soundtracked a 1994 Danish kids movie called this is english trans naughty frida and the fearless spies uh it's like a typical cheesy ragtag 90s kid movie you know bunch of bunch of misfits band together to save the day a lot of movies on youtube i watched some of it um i didn't understand any of it because there were not subtitles but you could kind of get the vibe it was like a kind of like a low rent like stand by me sandlot kind of Oh, never mind. No. <laughs> I was into the music. Yeah, the, the singing kids are... I'm going to go back to the beginning. I like the, the beginning chord. Yeah, it starts out cool. Meanwhile, Renee was in Norway, and he was DJing in clubs, playing funk, hip-hop, house, electronic music. Uh, he was really into the band Erasure at the time. Secret weapon in the clubs. Hmm. He would rap during his DJ sets. He thought... Which was probably pretty novel. uh, I think it was at the time there in particular. Um, He thought standing there playing records was boring. So he just tried it one time. He like got out in front of the booth, got a mic, started rapping, and people thought it was cool. (laughs) I'm into it. Yeah. I'm not sure it would go over quite as well in America. I I feel like over there it makes a little more sense for it to be kind of a novelty thing. Also a massive Rick Astley fan and talks about that a lot. <laughs> a multifaceted dude here. Shortly after that, 
Renee ended up DJing on a cruise ship between Denmark and Norway that would like go back and forth. And while he was DJing on this boat, there was a game show for the passengers and it was hosted by a woman who caught Renee's eye. This woman's name was Lee Nystrom. And she was also a singer. She sang in various shows on the boat. When Renee wasn't DJing, he spent much of his time on the boat trying to woo Lean. <laughs> mm. And they eventually ended up dating. So sometime in the years that they were dating, I, there's not a lot of specific years on this stuff. Ross and Soren were in the studio working on this kid's movie. So probably like 93, I guess. Uh, and Renee happened to be in that same studio and they met in the hallway. Well, it turned out for this kid's movie soundtrack, they needed a rapper. <laughs> Convenient. And, and Renee offered his services. And after they started doing some recording, he ended up working on the entire soundtrack with them. I love it. So Renee's working on these songs uh, with Soren and Klaus, and he went back to Norway and he played some of the songs for Lean. And supposedly she said, I can sing better than that. Take me to Denmark (laughs) with you and I'll record the vocals. (laughs) (laughs) And he did. So they all started collaborating on the songs. And it turned out that Lean's bubblegum pop singing and Renee's deep voice raps were a combination they thought really worked. Hindsight's 2020, we know it did. Right? Uh, I tried to find more songs from the soundtrack, and all I could find was the one I played earlier, and then this one. And this one doesn't have any rapping in it. I couldn't find any of the songs that have both singing and rapping. But here's another song from Naughty Frida and the Fearless Spies. Exactly the same. <laughs> at, at least this one just jumped right into the singing. So did. I didn't even have a moment to be like, oh, God. It was just immediate, like, no, not for me. Uh, it's not like something I would put on to enjoy. All the, uh, all the comments are in Danish as well. They are. Can't even, can't even tell if people are throwing shade or not. I don't think it was a huge movie, but it was definitely one of those movies that, like, you know those kids' movies that we... <laughs> Uh, Theo's doing some excellent dancing. (laughs) Uh, You know those like kind of obscure, like we all have those like kind of obscure movies we liked as a kid, and you find like one person every so often that's like, oh my god, I used to watch that too. We recorded off the table. You like Camp Nowhere as well, dude? I seriously saw this movie on YouTube and thought about Camp Nowhere, (laughs) especially because the cover kind of looks like it. They've got like a pirate flag and like, dude, yes, Camp Nowhere. I love Camp Nowhere. Christopher Lloyd experience with the soundtrack uh they naturally decided they'd start a band together and the band was called joy speed uh, joy speed <laughs> is better than <laughs> uh it, yeah i guess um, I like it's it. not bad uh, they spent all their time together writing and recording music and much of their music was made with a roland jv 2080 which was a 64 voice midi synthesizer which means that it had a library of a bunch of different instrument sounds. Ninety-five, Joy Speed released their first single. How do we go? How do we get to Barbie Girl? <laughs> <laughs> what a uh, is this cover supposed to be like an email? I guess I was thinking the same thing. Uh, what? Oh. <laughs> is it Itsy Bitsy Spider? Yeah, I don't know. It's so weird, but it's Itsy Bitsy with Z's. It's Z Bitsy Spider. Because, you know, they're in the club. They're getting crazy. I love the uh, the comment on the, on the actual, like, uh, 
description of the video. I have to say, this is a clever idea for a song. Times three, taking a children's song and turning it into a dance song and adding silly lyrics. Enjoy it. Yeah, <laughs> sure. That's awesome. Oh well, I hate it. It, it just it is it's Spider. Uh, it is, yeah. Like, yeah. Before kind of the lyrics, I was like, oh, they just like, the beat. No, they just covered no. Itty Bitty Spider. Yeah. That's all. Awesome. Yep. Even still, a small Swedish record label signed them in 1994, and they yeah, put out Itty Bitty Spider. In s- hey, it, Sweden, America, it's still the 90s music industry. It where is. Everyone's getting record deals. Just, and just <laughs> throw shit at the wall and it might stick. I mean, yeah. they put out the song Sweden, and the single did not become super popular. It did hit the charts, but it disappeared pretty quickly. Uh, the four were very disappointed. They canceled their contract with the label because, you know, it's not me, it's you. Uh, even though the label wanted to keep them on to see see what happened with them. Uh, so they've now got no record deal, but they have a new manager and they decide to start over, start mm-hmm. fresh. And they changed their name, did in fact change their name after signing with Universal Music Denmark. Mm-hmm. And they did, in fact, rename themselves Aqua, which they got from a poster for an aquarium that was in their dressing room at a show. Okay. That's sure. the whole story behind them being called Aqua. I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah. better story than I actually thought there would be. Yeah. So. They put out a first single called... <laughs> Terribly crazy. <laughs> Itty bitty spider. Home that everyone has. Yeah. <laughs> At least... And I'm not trying to be like... But it sounds more like what I know them as, but also mainly because they're speaking English, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but it sounds more like Aqua. The Aqua that you and I know and love. Hey, this one's better. This one's better for sure. They stepped up big time. They're just goofy people, right? Uh, yeah, they seem like they have. We'll, we'll hear a lot from them. They seem like they have really good things to I... <laughs> better. <laughs> uh, well, the song was released in Denmark in September 1996, and they they did expect it to break into the Danish top 10, but it far surpassed all expectations Ooh. and stayed in the charts for over two months and was certified platinum in Denmark. Now, how many songs are being released in a two-month period in Denmark? I have no time? idea. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean, there's international songs being released there, so. I'm sure. Uh, so they kept pumping out songs, you know, in in hopes of making a record. Uh, and the next song that they made is called Doctor Jones. It is a song about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, <laughs> specifically in the scene where Short Round tells Indiana to wake up because he's been brainwashed by the blood of the Kalima, who's like the, the you know, good group of bad guys. That movie's pretty xenophobic. Uh, so they're they're kind of just like nerds. Yeah, it seems that way. Who get like really I into guess. something and they're like, let's make a song out of it. This video is starting to give me some barbecue. For sure. Like, Absolutely. Clearly they're so theatrical. They, they made this video later. Um, after Barbie Girl. 
okay. Also involves the scene uh, on an airplane in that movie when Willie Scott tells uh, Indiana to wake up. So that's that's the whole theme of the song. Song that that did all right that we'll get around to. Um, but just like America in the '90s, it was not as customary for like mainstream pop to write and produce all their own music. Michael wanted to do it on their own terms. So they were holed up in the studio, making their music for what would be their debut album. And while they were doing this, Soren went out one night and went to an art exhibition. And he saw a very interesting piece at this art exhibition. Uh, It was numerous Barbie dolls smashed together into a big round ball that was hanging and looked like a planet. And Soren was enamored with it. And he muttered to himself, life in plastic, it's fantastic. <laughs> wow. And then, um, I'm guessing he's had a Here few drinks. Here we go. He just keeps saying to himself, come on, Barbie, let's go party. <laughs> so he goes back into the studio <laughs> and he writes the chorus. But he writes it with major chords. So, And this song's in, my, um, in a minor key. Uh, C sharp minor, and he uh, mm-hmm. he's playing the song, and Klaus says this has to be in a minor key. So they argued about it, and he relented, and the song was in the key that we hear it in now. Uh, they also argued about the lyrics for some time, and uh, Klaus and Soren say that they argued a lot in this band because they were kind of handling a lot of the production and and instrumentals while. Uh, Renee and Lean were doing the vocals. Some lyrics, and then Renee and Lean write their own lyrics for the song, and they kind of pieced it all together. And Lean was originally singing it a little lower than what we hear, because she thought that the chorus was way too high for her. Because, I mean, if you listen to the chorus of Barbie Girl, like, she's stretching. It's in a really high octave. And she was concerned that she couldn't hit the notes live. And Soren and Klaus said it had to sound out of this world, so they had to keep it in a high key or high octave. And they said, no one will notice if we change the key live when you sing it. <laughs> Probably true. Most people, yes. Yeah. Uh, after the song came out, people speculated after hearing their live sets that her vocals were manipulated in the studio to be higher. And Lean says, it's all her. She's, she sang that in the studio. It was just really difficult to sing. <laughs> huh. well, I feel bad for her, though. And yeah. I do... Uh, also want to point out that this song features a drum sample from Dutch dance music duo The Good Men's Give It Up from 1993 which was actually a pretty decent sized global dance hit um, it was a big like import hit people would like look for this record and spin it at clubs and as I just mentioned in most interviews with the members of Aqua they do they consistently talk about how they were creating their own sound producing it all themselves however There were two other producers on this song and most other Aqua songs, Jam and Delgado. Their real names are Johnny Peterson and Karsten Dahlgaard. They worked with a number of Scandinavian pop acts and they're credited by some for creating the bubblegum dance sound. For instance, this song came out two years before Aqua. This song's by me and my. It's called Lion Eddie. It's a different time. <laughs> the video is insane. Got into it. 
Oh, oh, have they go. started lion taming yet for you? They're about to. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, I, I, end of the 90s, were, this was just a different time in Europe. Like, dance was just so much hotter than it was here. Yeah. Oh, there they are. the lions. Oh. And it looks like they're actually in the cage with all these lions. There's like 10 lions in there. Just singing. Pop. You know, it's been around for decades. Frequently used for music that, to some, is sweet, contrived, pointed toward adolescence. Uh, but bubblegum dance is actually a subgenre of Eurodance music. Um, we all know plenty of Eurodance music from the 90s, and even now. Uh, it's usually house-influenced with some techno. Typically, the songs have singing and rapping. Got songs like uh, Rhythm is a Dancer, Pump Up the Jam, What is Love, Scatman, like all that stuff is Eurodance. Or is Euro general Euro dance music, but bubblegum dance is characterized by cute lyrics and happy sounds, which is funny because Barbie Girl's in a minor know, key, I, but it's still I, know, I want to hear it again happy. now. I'm sure it um, will soon. And I, I never really thought about it as a minor key. Uh, you will shortly, but it's a little bit more of a pop sound than Euro dance. Uh, the lyrics are typically lighthearted and not meant to be taken real seriously. Um, you know, fun childish subjects. Um, and actually, bubblegum dance was coined because they found similarities with this in like 1950s pop music, where like, you know, the girls were in like, you know, chewing pink bubblegum and had sure. like pink skirts and all that stuff. Uh, the females would usually sing the chorus. They might have a male singing in the song as well, like a back and forth kind of thing. It may suggest that the songs are aimed at children. However, it's not always the case. It's really common for bubblegum dance songs to have double entendres or suggestive lyrics that are actually more appropriate for adult audiences. Enter Barbie Girl. <laughs> Let's go. I want to know more about Lion Eddie, though. Is Lion Eddie an actual person? I have no idea. I'm very curious about because Lion Eddie. Because for our listener, they just spelled L-I-O-N, not L-Y-I-N-G. So this is oh, Lion yeah. Eddie. You're right. He's uh, maybe a lion tamer. Is there, is there a dollop episode about the lion? lion oh Eddie? my god, lion <laughs> Oh man. I feel like that perfectly describes Barbie Girl because there are some suggestive lines sure. in this song. Such as, I'm a blonde bimbo girl in a fantasy world. Uh, dress me up, make it tight, I'm your dolly. You can brush my hair, undress me everywhere, of course. And kiss me here, touch me there, hanky-panky. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Uh, so the band has addressed these lyrics uh, multiple times. And um, Renee says the song is about it being okay to be the person you are, look the way you look, and be confident in that. You don't necessarily have to have plastic surgery to be a better person. Uh-huh. It's all metaphors in the song, and it's a tongue-in-cheek way to present it. That feels like a little revisionist history it does you know looking Though, back like actually it's about body positivity like, oh, okay. klaus separately said it was a song about plastic surgery huh. other parts of the song are sexual he said but um they were really trying to make a statement and lean also said that she was kind of trying trying to take the piss out of pamela anderson <laughs> 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 when she wrote wrote some of the lyrics uh, she was like, we wanted to take the piss out of that perfect girl. That was the main thing we discussed. We didn't say it very often, but that was really the main thing behind it. I think that's what I, in, in, in a roundabout way, always 
thought the song was about. Just kind of like playing commentary on the plastic world that we live in, like everyone trying to yeah. be someone different and being someone else and, you know, coming off the heels of like fake plastic trees or Radiohead and yeah. like yeah. That, that kind of like overall commentary. So not specifically pinpoint on any one person, but. Yep. Yeah. And I, I now I actually had never really thought about it in that perspective. But now when I listen to it, I kind of hear she sounds a little sarcastic in the song. Yeah. And she kind of sounds like she's just like from the perspective of what people would perceive to be like a plastic celebrity just here for your entertainment. <clears throat> but like dog and horn someone for being who they whatever they want to be is like not as cool anymore. <laughs> like, I don't think this song would, would float that way. So that's why I feel yeah. like that first bit about. Uh, from Claws or whoever, it was, yeah, like a little bit of like, mm, that's probably not really what you meant back Being yourself but. and, of course, one of the main reasons Barbie Girl was so huge globally is because of the iconic music video. The video was directed by Peter Peterson, and of course, we are going to watch it. Oh, they're the, they're the drums. Yeah, right? It's, this music video is so classic. Yep. I mean, it's a banger. It really is. <laughs> so, Oh, look at that haircut from Soren. Oh, I know. And Claws. Wow. Uh, Peter Peterson, the director, uh, has directed over 400 commercials for international brands such as Kellogg's, Carlsberg, Lego, McDonald's, Bayer, Panasonic, etc. Uh, and he's done 35 music videos for bands like the Ravenettes, the Superheroes, who I don't know, and Aqua. He's directed five Aqua videos, including the Dr. Jones one that you watched. I was going to say, yeah, very similar vibes. Also, hey, hold up. One real quick. Renee's haircut is like a uh, like 90s Miami version of, of the Dr. Phil. I did not notice that he's, he's it not really bald. Is. He's got weird, totally weird little yeah. hair yep. above his uh, ears here. What the yep. fuck? <laughs> I know. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for Halloween. I'm going to go with Renee. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy about uh, Peter Peterson is that he directed that Dr. Jones video, the like Indiana Jones song. Mm-hmm. And then in 2008, he directed Lego Indiana Jones. Oh, wow. <laughs> Came full circle. Wow. Uh, he also has directed some of the Star Wars Lego movies. That's pretty uh, cool. He's also directed multiple horror films and a documentary about Jim Morrison. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, crazy shit. Uh, but so he was starting out as a director uh, and he said he was having a hard time getting work and he got the request from MCA to do Barbie Girl. And he was like, I was doing weird, like grainy black and white art shit in a basement. And they were like, hey, here's Barbie girl. (laughs) And he's like, what the hell is this? Like, what am I going to do with this? So they they rented out an old wine warehouse in Copenhagen and turned that into a studio. And he said he just wanted to be like as cartoonish as possible, as huge as possible, huge colors, huge props. He did like a storyboard and they were trying to figure out who's going to be in it and whatnot. And he had actually watched Spike Jones's video for Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. Oh, one of the greatest videos of all time, yeah. in my opinion. And he said he loved those crime movies and exploitation movies that they were referencing. Yeah. And it was kind of an inspiration that it had the Beastie Boys like playing characters. Oh, okay. And he said he wanted to see the band playing these characters but he wanted it to look like the Flintstones or Scooby-Doo or the Jetsons. Like, that's what he was trying to do Man. with this video, which I could totally see. Nailed it, right? Yeah. And uh, so they had a meeting with the band, and Lean said that she didn't want to play Barbie. <laughs> I mean, you have to. Sorry. And he was like, you can't fucking do that. You have to be Barbie. <laughs> yeah. 
And Lean said that she doesn't get angry very often, but she got really pissed off because she said, I don't want to look like Barbie. That's against the whole point of the song. She's like, I came into the dressing room. Stylists were there. We had an argument. The label came in. The director came in. And I stood my ground. I don't want to look like Barbie. I assume that Pete Peter Peterson probably wanted her to look like the very cliche Barbie. Right? So in the video, she sure. is obviously representing a Barbie figure. But she does not look like what Barbie would look like in the 90s. Or what we would... Like now, Barbie... If you are a 14-year-old listener of this podcast, you might have grown up with a Barbie that has many different variations. But when we grew up, and for the last 50 years before that, Barbie was, looked like one symbol, one single thing. Um, and Lean does yeah, not end up exactly. looking like that Barbie in the video. Well, but if you get to 227, that's when the folks come in that look like Barbie and Ken. Oh, that's right. And they're like all, they, they're moving like robots and sing this party. And that's when the band starts playing. Yes. Do have Barbie and Ken looking characters. And art director said, I have friends who look like Barbie and Ken. I want to call them up. <laughs> they don't really look like Barbie and Ken that much, but uh, clearly, and, well, clearly that's know, who they are. Enough. Yeah. Enough. So Ken was played by a gentleman named Mads Toggle. And he said that they were invited the day of the shoot. And he's like, we're not busy. And uh, he and the gal who played Barbie, they were, I think, in acting school. And they were like, well, free lunch. Like, we'll go do it. Fine. And there are a few things that I won't do for free lunch. So, yeah. He said that they, when they got there, they colored his hair pitch black, <laughs> as you can see in the video. And the lady promised that it was easy to wash out afterward. And he said he had black oh, no. hair for over a year. <laughs> A year? Yeah. And they didn't even have time oh, to rehearse. God. So he said they just started doing these like plastic movements and the director just went with it. Um, and it worked. <laughs> and it worked so well that uh, the actors that played Barbie and Ken got married and they're still married. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. That is the only time. That I think it's appropriate to play Barbie yeah. at a wedding, their, their wedding. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't yeah. want to hear it. But wow, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Once it hit MTV, that was it. Hold on, wait, wait. Before we talk yeah. about MTV, can we uh, can we take a quick Sierra Nevada break? Yeah, it's always good to take a Sierra Nevada break. I need, I need to, I need to take a quick little crack. I, I need to do mirror. that as well. Give me one. Give me one second. I'm a you got the, your uh, Sierra Nevada? Oh, are you ready for this? This is the official Sierra Nevada sound of the pod. <laughs> oh, great sound. Uh, I have uh, responsibly enjoyed a couple Sierra Nevada summer breaks. They're session hazy IPA mm, today. Delicious. So, uh, here we go. I'm, I'm oh, back to Aqua. Um, once Barbie Girl hit MTV, that was it. Aqua was massive. 100%. Uh, and very few Scandinavian pop acts have scored big hits in America, but the ones that have typically come from Sweden, although AHA is from Norway. Barely any acts who made it in the US are from Denmark. Uh, so breaking in America was an impossible dream for Aqua. I've read a couple things where they said like early on, you know, we could tour Scandinavia. 
Like that was the biggest they thought Crazy. of. Crazy. Uh, has sold more than 8 million copies yep. worldwide. It became a huge hit on multiple continents. Uh, the band actually did a lot of touring in Asia from this song. It was very popular in Asia. Uh, it reached number one in more than 10 countries, including Belgium, France, Germany, Ireland, Italy, the Netherlands, Norway, Scotland, Sweden, Switzerland, and the UK, mm. uh, as well as on the comprehensive Euro chart. It was number one there, too. Is that like an yeah. overall European mm-hmm. chart? Um, it actually debuted on the UK singles chart at number two. Debuted Behind at number what? two. I don't know. On the UK, I don't know. Uh, And then it was number one for four weeks. And it was the 30th best-selling single in the UK. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) That's wild. Um, Outside Europe, it peaked at number one in Australia and New Zealand, number four in Canada, and number seven on the US Billboard Hot 100. Okay. What's... Reputable. What's really interesting is that it debuted at number seven and peaked at number seven. Whoa. Wild. Isn't that crazy? So it did just like catch on fire in one week and MTV and yeah. Out? yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. Okay. Uh, that's what I, I think happened from what, what I can tell. Uh, it, it was at number seven. It hit, well, I guess debuted at number seven on September 6th, 1997. Uh, behind it in the top 10 number 10 was Not Tonight Lil' Kim with DeBrat Left Eye Missy Elliott uh, number 9 was You Make Me Wanna Usher uh, okay. I sang that song in the 5th grade talent show <laughs> uh, Never Make a Promise Drew Hill okay. uh, and then Bobby Girl number 6 Third Eye Blind Simi Charm Life ooh yep that, that had to be on the charts for like two years, right? It had to. Be. Uh, number five, How Do I Live, Leanne Rhymes, Country Crossover. I mean, Massive. that song was enormous. I mean, that was a pop, AC, country, yeah. uh, smooth jazz, probably. Urban that, alternative. That song was fucking <laughs> everywhere. Uh, yeah. And she didn't win the Grammy for it. Trisha Yearwood did. For what? For the same song. Oh, that's right. But Leanne oh. Rhymes performed it at the Grammys and then didn't win for it. Trisha Yearwood did. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. And it's the Trisha Yearwood version in uh, Con Air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like, you know what, side note, that's like all country was in the 50s and 60s. For sure. Crazy that like that came about again I know. in the late so 90s. So wild. But yeah, it was the wow. classic like two labels, like, well, let's just pump enough money into it and it'll be fine. Well, we talked about it in the last episode, like... The cover song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number four is To Become One by Spice Girls. Three, mm. massive song, I'll Be Missing You, Puff Daddy and Faith Evans featuring 112. Big yeah. song. Uh, I, it's on its way down now. I assume it's down from number one. Right. Uh, number two, Quit Playing Games With My Heart, Backstreet Boys. Big song. And number one, still a massive song, Notorious B.I.G., Mo Money, More Problems. I mean, massive. Uh, generation. Yep. Damn. Uh, 
Damn. That top 10 is enormous. I mean, all of it is and iconic artists. So 90s. Other than Aqua, like <laughs> everybody is <I> know. <laughs> legendary. Yeah, Barbie Girl. Barbie Girl is legendary it is. In, his own, in his own right. But like, it's pretty amazing that they're on there with all these artists, like just, you know, Wild, yeah. iconic, historic artists. Uh, so Aqua released the full album around the world uh, in that fall of 97. The, uh, the, this is an aquarium? Yeah, aquarium. Yep, this is their okay. debut album, Aquarium. Uh, although the album sold well, uh, many still wrote the group off as a one-hit wonder. And yeah. the band... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, they did have another hit in the U.S. Oh. They had Lollipop, Princey's Candyman. I like this song. song. Hold yeah. on, I don't, I don't remember... The old Candyman... They, all their videos are—I mean, they're obviously very similar—but they start with like that. It's like almost like an old school, like presented by Aquascope, like yeah. And this video too, like they're—they're they they're so novelty. That's the thing. They really are. So uh, yeah, they released Candyman uh, in the U.S., but it wasn't released as a single elsewhere. Hmm. Um. In other countries, so wait, they're, they they're released, Universal, right? Yeah, MCA Universal. Mm-hmm. Um, they released Doctor Jones around the world, and that did quite well, uh, but was never released as a single in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Lollipop Candyman uh, was released here, and it made it to number twenty-three on the Hot One Hundred, like pretty high. Yeah, it's not a very good song. It's not great. No, it's no Barbie Girl, but uh, mm-hmm. it did all right. Um, it was one of only two songs to ever make the top 40 here. Uh, the song did make it to number three in Australia. So there's that. They, they love everything down there. <laughs> They're just so no, positive. Like, literally every single song we talk about, we're always like, it went number one in four countries, including Australia. And then, you know, <laughs> this, that, and the other. <laughs> They're just so enthusiastic. So the band actually didn't even want to release Candyman as a single at all. It's not their favorite song. In fact, I think one of them I read, he was like, I think it's one of the worst songs on the album. Uh, but the U.S. label insisted. And they, they were like, oh, it's a weird decision, but it, it did okay. It's a tough so, position to be in. Uh, you know. Because whether you like it or not, Barbie Girl is a novelty song. And it's very difficult to follow up a novelty hit that kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, what track do you take? Do you push the novelty side of things? Do you try to become more... Mm-hmm mainstream and legitimate like he you're in an unfortunate position no one's gonna argue about wanting like a number one hit or top 10 hit but like it's it's a hard position to be in it's a hard position to follow up with yeah you can't win right at the end of the day i think especially in america uh where right. there's so much music it's such a huge country um these things can be fleeting so when you have a novelty song it's hard to come back from it sometimes or not to get pigeonholed they did really well in other countries consistently with other singles, but you know, it's age old story. I mean, think yeah. about a band like I think now they're revered differently, but you know, to the layman American in the nineties, like Oasis was this like lame ballad band from sure. England. When it turns out they're like one of the biggest rock bands on the planet. Like it's just different here. It's hard. There's just so much shit. I like to think that Noel Gallagher is somewhere listening to our podcast being like did he just compare us to Aqua? This <laughs> 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 fucker. <laughs> um, so I know what you're thinking. Or you probably had this thought throughout the episode. Mm. 
How did Mattel let this song happen? I uh, actually, I feel like I know a little bit about this. Do you? Uh, I don't know why I know this, but I'm pretty sure that they were not happy with it at first. They were sued. not. And then they were sued. Made it in a fucking advertisement later down the road. They did. <laughs> this is all yeah. true. This is all true. Uh, Aqua did get sued, but not until 2000. This was like, three years after the song came out. Wow. Which is crazy. And I'm thinking they're probably like, oh, yeah, well, we got away with it. This is like, I can imagine if this song came out now, you would have like all the 22 year old like social media folks working at Mattel being like, oh, my God, we should we should do this. And like four years later, the president finally hears the song and is like, wait a minute. Let's sue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, The lawsuit had 11 different claims uh, and one of which was trademark infringement. And specifically, that the sexual innuendo of the song had damaged the Barbie brand. Like, that brand can be damaged. When you told me that this, uh, this band sold 8 million records, I looked up how many Barbies are sold every year, and 58 million Barbies are sold every year. So I can't imagine it really damaged the brand. And did it go up in, like, 98, 97, 98? Probably. It probably did. Yeah. It's, like free, it's just free advertising. 100%. Can you even damage the Barbie brand like beyond the like uh, things that are already like controversial about Barbie? (laughs) Fair. There's already like all these things about you know uh, body image and white supremacism and like all the shit that's like people aren't gonna want to buy a rich, hot, skinny white doll ever again. God damn it! Blonde too, blonde. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. They, uh, Mattel even claimed that the band infringed on what they called Barbie Pink mm. in the music video, which is absurd, but they do have a uh, color patented. And to be clear, Mattel sued MCA and not the band. Interesting. And that's actually every probably time... a good, uh, like PR move. Probably. Yeah. Actually, one of the band members said, what, were they going to come after the little Danish band that could? Yeah. Like, yeah. come on. Uh, and the band also consistently says, yeah, only in America we would get sued for this. USA, <laughs> <laughs> USA, uh, USA. USA. <laughs> uh, the band was represented by uh, attorney Russell Frackman. And he's done a few interviews about this. And he said he legitimately felt that Mattel had a weak case. Uh, he said that it was reinforced when he looked more into Barbie's background. Barbie began as a German doll known as Lily. And Lily was a plaything for adult men. What? So her background was not pristine. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Wait, uh, back in like the 40s and 50s? The high-end German call what? girl. And it looks like Barbie. It Barbie straight up looks like Barbie. The sexy German. Yeah, these ads are very suggestive. Barbie and sister build Lily a buxom flirtatious and racy doll marketed to men and through the risque 1955 doll was largely been overshadowed by the success of the American toy. Frackman also said that it became very clear that Barbie had been represented in books and other media, even in recordings prior to Barbie Girl, as representing a certain type of person. She became an icon standing for a certain type of person. That led to the major defenses in the case, which were essentially First Amendment defenses. To me, there was no case here. He also said... uh, that they hired literary experts, record industry experts, marketing experts, came up with all sorts of material that was more critical of Barbie, more sexual. Um, 
and he said that uh, for many years, uh, people did not depict or people did not perceive Barbie as feminist whatsoever. Uh, and yet the song was doing quite the opposite is, is what he yeah. was saying. Yeah. Uh, he also said that uh, trademark names have been used in songs for many, many years. Janis Joplin's Mercedes Benz, Paul Simon's Kodachrome, Bruce Springsteen's Cadillac Ranch. <laughs> yeah. uh, and at one point, Mattel even argued that they could have just named the song Party Girl. They could have. Yeah, but they didn't. But they didn't. <laughs> okay, Mattel, don't, don't get fucking creative. You're not a songwriter. Get out of here. The lawsuit the dragged on for years. MCA paid all the legal wow. fees. Uh, it went to the Court of Appeals, Ninth Circuit, and uh, Judge Alex Kaczynski ruled in favor of MCA, but not exactly for the reasons that have been outlined before. He said the song's a parody. It's protected as satire. Well, that, that's what I would yep. thought would be the yep. first argument. It's yeah. protected as satire. Uh, and he ended his opinion with a now famous legal line. Ooh. The parties are advised to chill. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. So yeah, the judge gave him the win because the song is parody, which is legal use in the US. That's how our man Weird Al gets to do all of his songs. Uh, It's a, you know, it's it's part of freedom of speech. Interestingly, though, in 1997, when Aquarium came out, the CD case had a statement on it that said, the song Barbie Girl is a social comment and was not created or approved by the makers of the doll. Hmm. So it's like, they knew so, it was coming. There's a pre-lawsuit. Yeah, yeah. three years before. Oh, yeah. I wonder if they actually give more credence to the lawsuit then. Still, the, the three, why three years? I, I have no idea. I couldn't find out. It had I, to I have to been like a weird downturn in sales and they're just like grasping at anything like right now yeah, if your company is like struggling right now you're like wow inflation and, and uh, supply chain issues right. and you're like <laughs> that doesn't affect your business at all and you're like, well, well their whole case <laughs> their whole case was that the song's popularity and its uh suggestiveness damaged the barbie brand so that would take time for it to damage the brand so mm-hmm. maybe they were just sitting on it I don't know. But I do also think that this really does solidify the the themes of the song that it, it really is social commentary and it's it's meant it's meant to be satire yeah. for that purpose. It's not just like let's make a party song about Barbie. Right. So yeah, they won. It's uh it's their song. Uh in twenty eleven, the song was voted worst song of the '90s by Rolling Stone readers. Can't be, Number one, can't be true. I don't think it's there's true a either. There's uh, a lot worse, <laughs> some of which we've covered. Yeah. Um, but many journalists do look back on the song fondly. Uh, this past February, the video racked up its billionth view on YouTube. Wow! Landing it in an elite club alongside Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody and Guns N' Roses' November Rain. And, and um, Gangnam Style, so you know. And Gangnam Style. This song is frequently used by environmental movements, such as Fridays for Future. Oh, I see that. Okay, yeah. Bringing attention to the plastic thrown by humans into the seas. Uh, and they use the song lyrics in their slogans, Life is Plastic is Not Fantastic. And the band has never had an issue with this. Well, same <laughs> not, yeah. Yeah, of course. The song has been covered and sampled a number of times. 
there's one that I was dying to find and I couldn't find it. If any listeners have a recording of it, like a bootleg or a video somewhere, I couldn't find it. Apparently for a while, Faith No More was covering this song live. <laughs> and I just really want to hear it because that's so perfect. <laughs> I would love to hear that. Yeah, I would too. Uh, it definitely seems like something Mike Patton would do very strangely and like not ironically. Yeah. The song is interpolated in the 2014 ludicrous song Party Girl, which is hilarious because that's what Mattel said they should have called it. Uh, I would, I would love part, to see like, the writing credits and like at the end, like Mikel Incorporated. <laughs> uh, I just sent it to you. I don't know if you've ever heard this song before. Um, I don't think. Ooh, I like this. <laughs> uh, it's been covered so many times and released as singles yeah, uh, yeah. identical twin sisters Amanda and Samantha Marchant known as Samanda yeah, sure. who I guess are popular in the UK they released a cover of it that reached number 26 in 2007 uh, good? I don't know I listen to oh, it what kind of journalist are you? Hey, <laughs> I'm not a journalist. Amanda That's what it is. Barbie it's like a Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. Yeah, it's one of these. I don't know. Just based on the descriptions, I was yeah. like, okay. <laughs> Swedish artist Loke okay. Nyberg did a version of this song, and he interprets the song as criticism as today's beauty ideals. Popular Brazilian recording artist Kelly Key recorded a version in Portuguese in 2005. And she basically just said, I like this song. I'm going to record it whether my fans like it or not. And it turned out to be a hit in Brazil. Uh, I think that's the one I was reading that she was like criticized for it because her, I guess her music's like pretty explicit typically. And then when she did this cover, people are like, oh, this is like kid stuff. Uh, On the Indian sketch comedy show, Goodness Gracious Me, there was a version called Punjabi Girl. Uh, that was also then released on the radio. <laughs> yeah, imagine. Uh, I think it's funny that they're like in drag and stuff. In 2012, the song was parodied in an Australian lamb campaign, relying on the Australian use of the term Barbie to refer to an outdoor barbecue. <laughs> Some some copywriter got a bonus for that one. Yeah, and 2014, the song was used in the South Park episode "Cock Magic." Sure. <laughs> <laughs> we have kind of a kids' corner. Kind of, a, I guess it is a kids' corner. On, uh, kids' bop proper. Yeah, the lyrics are still a little, you know. I mean, they, little they're suggestive, suggestive, but they're uh, also but we like, have. It, it's kind of a crafty song because while they are uh, suggestive. They are uh They're pretty literal. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I Except think for that hanky panky line. That's the only one I think. Yeah, but I think I was at the age <laughs> where I knew that it was social commentary and it was like tongue in cheek. But I easily if, if I had been three, four years younger, I think I easily would have been like, Oh, it's talking about my Barbie. And like I wouldn't have thought. It definitely it. oh, this came out I was in was like ten, eleven years old. Yeah, and I I do remember all my friends knew it was suggestive. Everyone thought it was funny. Yeah. And I do remember kids like on the bus singing boobs of plastic, nipples of elastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 
I don't remember that, but <laughs> I don't know if that was just a thing on my bus. But uh, anyway, we have uh, we have Smurfarna, which is the Swedish version of the Smurfs oh. doing Barbie Girl in Swedish. It's like this, exactly what I described. <laughs> yeah, oddly enough, this uh, this sounds like the Smurfs singing Barbie Girl. And it doesn't sound that much different. <laughs> because she sings so high in the chorus anyway. <laughs> Maybe if I saw her live, I'd have... Again, like, I actually, even listening back, it doesn't sound like a minor key song. I guess it is. I just never captivated me that way. But No, there's like a slight, uh, like, creepiness to the song. I guess you're right, yeah. I feel like that, that wouldn't be there. Uh, so where's Aqua now? What's happened since Barbie Girl? Well, they released their follow-up album, Aquarius, in 2000. It took them three years to make, uh, and they basically like hid away in 99 to make their new record. They were probably fucking boring like crazy. They were. Yep, they were. Uh, the album was a departure from their purely bubblegum dance sound, incorporating elements of folk, country, and rock. But they did have many songs on it that sounded just like Aqua. Uh, and the lead single was one of them. It's called Cartoon Heroes. It was number one in Denmark and number one in Australia. <laughs> uh, it sold well around the world, especially in Scandinavia, but it stalled out at 82 in America. And uh, after the big tour for Aquarius, Aqua disbanded. And Lean married Soren. What? Oh, wow. Yeah. Lean married Soren mm. in 2001. But I don't know if that drama had anything to do with the band split. There's no. They're all still friends, so... This literally looks like a Power Man 5000 music video. <laughs> <It does. laughs> yes, that the song stalled out uh, and the band broke up. I already said that. Um, during their split, Lean, Renee, and Soren all released solo music to uh, moderate success. In fact, Lean and Renee uh, both had successful songs in Europe. Uh, Klaus continued in the music industry, remixing a lot of other artists' material. Soren released spoken word albums. Hmm. And wrote and arranged music for the Royal Danish Opera Ballet, okay. which sure. is pretty cool. Uh, he also scored some film and TV. And then in 2007, the group announced a reunion tour, as well as the release of a compilation album, which had some new mm-hmm. material. And then their third album, Megalomania, was released on October 3rd, 2011. And Klaus left the band in 2016, though they all remain friends. Uh, they've reunited for tours multiple times and have performed on television specials, including the Eurovision Song Competition. And they are touring now and will continue to tour through 2023 and beyond. They, like touring in like a festival, like 90s pop type thing? Or the, like they've done some of those like 90s revival festivals. Like, they've, they've done I, a few I don't of those. See it for uh, show, but I'll see them bust out three or four songs. Sure. Well, funny you say that because in November 2021, funny you say that because I'm buying you tickets. (laughs) (laughs) In November 2021, they flew from Denmark to the Park Fundidora Festival in Monterey, Mexico, where they were only to play one song, Barbie Girl. (laughs) And Renee said, let me tell you, that is a long way to go to play one song. It's a 26 hour flight. (laughs) (laughs) They probably got paid handsomely to play. Oh, Barbie they did, Girl. and it, it sounds like they actually had a lot of fun. Like, we'll um, pay you three hundred thousand to play Barbie yep. Girl. Okay. <laughs> yep. 
Uh, and the band has talked about uh, the song and how much they've had to play it and how it's, you know, a big part of their identity. And uh, they all have such like a great perspective on it. Like a lot of these novelty songs that we've talked about. Um, Soren says, I never get tired of the song. I really don't. I enjoy playing it live. He said, of course, three times in a row is a lot. He said, but I feel fortunate that everyone in the world knows the song. He said, I've never felt like a one hit wonder. Uh, and he said, mostly because we have had other songs in other countries be big. So we're really just a one hit wonder in like one or two places. Um, okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he said that song is a gift and he'll never be bothered by it. Huh, okay. He said, even though a lot of people probably want to kill us for it. Uh, I don't think people, I don't find it as hated as much as other songs we talked about where mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, some people love the song, some people hate the song. I think everyone kind of loves the song. I, I don't want to hear it four times that, in a row, fun. Yeah. It's fine. It's fun. Uh, I'm sure if I were a little older when it came out, I probably would have fucking hated it, but I don't know. That might be true, yeah. But uh, Lean says she's really proud of the song, and uh, she has to admit that there were some times where she was like, oh, God, not again. Like, we can't play this song again. And she said she can understand people getting pissed at it. It can be super annoying, and it sticks like glue. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And she also said, in Europe and Asia, most people know we aren't one hit wonders when we had other hits. So it is what it is. You just have to come out and prove them wrong when you play live. Okay, Lee. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Lee. <Lane. laughs> uh, so that's Barbie Girl. That's it. We did it. We did we it. We did it. Finally. Finally did it. I know there are some people who will be stoked about it because we've been asked about it a lot. Finally had to do Barbie Girl. 25th anniversary. So if you want to go see Aqua, you can go see Aqua. And if you want aquarium on vinyl now is your time <clears throat> and if you like mike and i were born in the late 80s and you want to feel old just think about that that song is 25 years old <laughs> oh my god yeah it's fucking crazy that's crazy yeah it's crazy uh, happy anniversary uh, are they uh you probably don't know this but i wonder if the song will be a part of the upcoming i don't know ryan reynolds i'm Barbie hoping movie. so that's not ryan reynolds Okay. Who is it? <laughs> it's uh it's uh Ryan Gosling, uh, Ryan, Ryan Gosling. Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Yeah, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, same person. I don't know if it's gonna be that movie. I'm hoping it is. And as you said, Mattel has used the song in ads now. Yeah, wait, um, so uh, which is ridiculous. That's great. I mean it's typical shit. It's yeah, like it Disney really when they get pissed about shit, they're like, Well, we're gonna use it later. Yeah. It's, it, but that's like it comical that they sued. Yeah. And then they were like, eh, fuck it. Totally you can't hubris. join them when them, or yep. you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of hubris, mm-hmm. uh, we have a mailbag. That's right. We have two, uh, and we have two. We have two things to talk about from people writing in because uh, I forgot to cover one last time. So right, I'm just gonna it. put them both here. The first one is about Wang Chung uh, from our ep- two episodes ago. Uh, Alicia, who is an avid pod listener, uh, she talked about. Um, how dance hall days? Uh, she had heard another story about what that song's about. We had talked about how dance hall days is inspired by the novel Lolita, and she had read that it was actually about Jack Hughes, the frontman of Wing Chun, uh, his dad working in a dance hall where they were learning a Lindy Hop style of dance, which is a jazz or swing style of dancing. Uh, it's like crazy swing dancing. Yeah, this is like very involved. Like oh, gymnastics. Shit. Yeah. It's amazing. That's super cool. Yeah. Uh, so she even sent me an article where Hughes says 
my dad was a musician and he had a band that played an old fashioned dance hall. I used to play with him in that band. So maybe there's sort of the nostalgia that's in the track. Hmm. It's all quite real, actually, as far as experiences that I had when I was first starting out playing and playing in public. And I said, well, that completely contradicts everything you said, but it kind of makes sense because they did that a lot. <laughs> like that whole episode was just like, I don't know. They said this and they said another thing. Their name means this, but it's not real. Like it's just, I don't know. Perhaps it's a combination of things, but that's a totally different story on that. I meant it. Um, our second mailbag uh, came from Jace in Nashville. And he said that he has heard around Nashville multiple times that there is an uncredited writer in Honky Tonk Badonkadonk, which we covered in the last episode. And that writer is Chris Stapleton. (laughs) No way. That's what he says. So it's hard Uh, to verify, uncredited. I'm I'm, I'm a bit dumbfounded over here. But Jamie Johnson's in it. So like, I get that. Uh, Yeah, no. Kind of makes sense. Uh, Would I be surprised? Because Chris Stapleton would have been coming out at the time. Exactly. He he would have been a young songwriter, just like Jamie, just like Dallas. Interesting. Yep. I don't uh, know why at the time you wouldn't want to take credit. I mean, maybe he had this, he already had this plan of him being this like super serious, like kind of Americana country guy. Like, I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, but you don't maybe, turn down a free like 250 grand in your mailbox every couple months for. Well, maybe he's uncredited, but his publishing's involved. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But wild. Supposedly, okay. that's a little rumor around Nashville. So, uh, well, that's Aqua Barbie Girl. It's Aqua. done. It's done. It. In the books. I'm picturing uh, Frodo in Lord of the Rings. It's done. It's done. He's, he's, he's destroyed it. <laughs> uh, for our listeners who tune into our podcast every week for our travel advice, if you ever go to Copenhagen, where some of the members of Aqua seem to have lived at one point, um, one of my favorite pizzas of all time. Is in Copenhagen at a place called Based. Love so, it. I had some it great. Check I had out. some great pasta there, and honestly, I was there when I was eighteen, and uh, a lot of people I was with were talking about how they went to the club that the that Renee. They kept saying the bald guy, uh, Renee from Aqua owns a club <laughs> there, and they all went there. Yeah. Oh. Been, oh, you know what else I had at in Copenhagen? I went to that whiskey bar. Uh, oh oh yeah. Well, if you really are interested, hit me up. Uh, but when I mentioned the, the, yeah, whiskey uh, so when I went to Iceland, I had a whiskey that was, uh, it was, uh, filtered filtered through through smoked sheep dung. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds crazy. But that was like the key to unlocking (laughs) the secret room (laughs) of this place. He was like, oh my God, you know about that whiskey? Like, let me show you the vault. And like took me to this attic and it was like mind blowing experience. And when you're traveling alone, like those experiences are yeah. fucking everything. Cause you're like, wow, I have like, I've found my community in Copenhagen in this random town. Um, so a huge fan. I was of Copenhagen. very glad I told and, you about uh, the poop whiskey. Yeah. Worked yeah. out. So, uh, look at that. Aqua. Aqua, Aqua comes from a great, great part. Of I the love, world. I love but, Denmark, love Copenhagen. And, uh, I love that we've finally covered Barbie girl. Aqua. <laughs> we did. Yeah. It. All good. right. Well, yeah. cheers. Cheers. Thank here's you for that. to uh here's to plastic dolls and poop whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Good luck getting that song out of your head. Please remember to subscribe so you know when the next episode is out. 
And if you listen on Apple, write a review, but only if it's nice. Follow us on Twitter at YWAHpod and let us know what you think. Or tell us what we missed by sending us an email at ywahpod at gmail.com. And lastly, share with a friend if you had a good time. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Beidler. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.